Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to look at a passage this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 14. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Now, after John, this is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the sea, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become, that's a powerful word in the Greek, I will make you become. It won't happen instantly, but I, I, can, I can make it happen, and I have to do it, but I can make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. I want us to talk about this morning the call of Christ. And just these brief verses that we read, they're impregnated with truth about what it means to be called by Christ. And we know that we all are. And I understand that not all of us are called to full-time Christian ministry or, or in the sense of uh, like pastors are sometimes or maybe missionaries to a particular location, but we are all called by God if we have been born again. And I think we ought to take a look sometime and see just exactly what is involved with that calling in our life. A lot of people think that, well, if you are called, you know, uh, there's some out there that are Christians and, and, and they're called, but they're special. And then there's a rest of, rest of us that just kind of hang behind and, you know, we, we give so they can fulfill their calling. And, 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 and I, I remember one time hearing, I, I know it sounds radical, but I, I think it is such a good way of looking at it that we should all assume when we get saved that we're going to the mission field. We're headed to Indonesia or we're headed to uh, uh, wherever it may be in the world uh, to, to share the gospel. We should assume that all of us are called to go and do that and only stay back here uh, later if we find that God has a ministry for us here. 
we rarely think like that. We always assume that there's somebody that they're special, that they were gifted in a certain way, and God tapped into that, and he sent them somewhere, or he called them to pastor a church or whatever. And I, I think we feel that that called group is just kind of an inclusive bunch. But boy, when we look at how Jesus calls us, how he really calls disciples, I think we'll see that it's quite different. One of the things that happened in the passage early on, it says that the time was fulfilled. The time had come. Uh, now is, is, is when it's got to happen. Jesus didn't look at Peter and John or, or, or James and Andrew. I think I have the brothers mixed up, but he didn't look at them and say, well, you know, if you guys, hey, I'm, I'm in town, here's my, here, oh, here's my card. And give me a call if you are interested. I'm, I'm going to be putting together a group and, uh, you know, if you have time, I, I don't know how the fishing business is going, but if you get some time off, uh, maybe you'd like to do something really radical. This is radical for us today to take a vacation and use it to go somewhere and to do mission work. He didn't even give them that option. He says, no, it is time, and the time is now. And the why uh, is the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the, the when is now, and the why is the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. It is the jurisdiction of God's rule and reign. And if I am part of the kingdom of God, then I, I am under his rule and I am under his authority. It's not like I have to move geographically, but boy, spiritually, it is a dramatic, dramatic change. Uh, you might have friends that are not part of the kingdom of God. I'm sure all of us do. You have family. They're not part of the kingdom of God. They're never going to understand your priorities. They're never going to understand how that in the kingdom of God that the peacemakers are blessed and, and those that are merciful and, and, and the, the way that the values have changed about people's lives and all of that. He gives us that in the Beatitudes. He says in the kingdom of God, things are different. People that are run over maybe in the world around you that 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 look like roadkill on the great vast world of getting it done he says no in the kingdom of God those people are blessed and so in the end some of them will inherit the entire earth it will all belong to them so you will live in the kingdom of God have different ideas have different values have 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 different priorities have a different focus all of that will be going on in your life and Boy, I, I know some of you have. I could not imagine being married to someone who's not in the kingdom of God if you are. It's a, it, that would be terrible. And some of you are there. I know you, you have lived through that. But it is such a change. As a matter of fact, Paul said that if you're in the kingdom of God and you're married to a lost person, if they want to leave, he said, let them. Because it's going to be so different. Your life is, it is going to be impossible for you to just try to mesh things together and, and to, 
to, to say, well, okay, we'll just work it out or we'll compromise or we'll whatever. He says, how can two people agree if they are walking in different directions? There's just no way to do it. You can try so hard to make it work out, but it is so difficult. And I'm not telling you to get a divorce. I'm telling you that God can do some awesome things and God might use you to win them to the Lord and your example. But it will be evident to them that my wife or my husband doesn't even think like I do. Their, their, their whole life has changed. It's weird. And it'll probably get on their nerves. But I can just tell you, your life is different when you live under the jurisdiction of God. You don't go, you're sent. You don't tell, you're told. We talked about it in class this morning, that he has built us and shaped us and formed us from uh, what we read in the book of Ephesians. He has, has made us into this work of God. And so we talked about in class this morning, if, you, if you're a, let's say you're a two-before uh, and you decide, hey, I'm 12 foot and a half inches long, and I like being that way. I'm a little twisted on one end, uh, and I have a big knot hole in the middle. But I, I want a builder, I want God to just find a place for me and fit me in and let me be myself. If, if you are a carpenter, a builder, and you come across a piece of lumber like that, you got some beating and banging to do. You got to do one of those screws about halfway in and then take a framing hammer and pull on it. And it might be that you have to cut it. It might be too long. I, I very rarely uh, do, do two befores and pieces of lumber come just ready to fit. You notice how surprised you are when you pick up one and hey, it just went right in. It rarely happens. But if you look at God and say, I'm 12 foot and a half inches long, twisted on one end, big knot hole in the middle, and I want to be myself. I demand, God, that you respect my individualism and find a place for me. I can tell you he will do with you what carpenters do with two-befores like that. They take them back to Lowe's. I'm telling you, God has to shape us and build us and bend us and twist us. And sometimes it's not all that fun. Sometimes we'll think, man, I'm in the wrong house. Or I'm in the wrong church. Or I'm in the wrong relationship. Or I need to find a place that will accept me just like I am. Twelve foot and a half inches long. A knot in the middle and twisted a little bit. Well, no, we have to let God help us. We live in a world where the individual is worshipped. And my individual ideas are worshipped. I want to be me. And if I'm me and I was born a man and want to be a woman, you need to honor that. And if you don't honor that, we'll come burn your house down. All in the name of peace and love and bringing us together. It's incredible what's going on in our world, but self has replaced soul. And we have worshipped that. All of that's fine. I've harped on those people enough. But I probably will keep going, but I, I have enough. But I can tell you this, in the kingdom of God, 
It's not so. In the kingdom of God, we surrender to him. The why. He has to make us into what he wants us to be in his kingdom. And the what, he says, well, you start by repenting and believing in the gospel. In our world, it's almost like repentance is not necessary. It's like you just come whatever, thinking whatever, and, and there's no need to turn around. Metanoia is a, is a Greek word. Two words means change in mind. It is a change of the way you think. It's not, a, it's not really an act of the heart so much as it is of the mind. Noia is uh, from the word noose, which means mind. And it is a change of mind. All of those ridiculous things we just talked about that people often say. You quit saying them when you repent. You quit defending them when you repent. You quit justifying them when you repent. You quit telling everybody that, well, look, hey, this is just who I am. And, and, and then if you really love Jesus, you would like me the way I am. Hey, we will love you the way you are, but we want to see Jesus love you and not leave you the way you are. And the only way that can happen is if you are willing, first of all, to repent and believe in the gospel. We heard Brother Tim Wagner last week, he, or week before last, he talked about in, in the report that he gave us as one of our missionaries we support. You remember he talked about that one of the challenges on the mission field right now is what is the gospel? What really is the gospel? And, and man, among missionaries, are you kidding me? You mean they're going to the mission field and there's some discrepancy about what is the gospel? Are we here to just help them be better Muslims? Or are we here to tell them that they are wrong in what they're thinking? And that they need to read the word of God. And, and if they don't have the word of God, they'll depend on uh, the projects like we're about to do to help people get the word of God. But are we there to just go out and tell the Hindu people that, hey, you know, it's, it's just cool what you believe and we just came over here to you know embrace you and have a group hug and and help you to discover the richness of your own personal faith heritage that's not what we're called to do what is the gospel people most people don't know a lot of people have turned it into the well it's sort of like just loving everybody and meeting physical needs and temporal needs and all of that and don't hear me say it's not important but that's not the gospel the gospel is we're lost and we're sinful and we need Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior we all know about the good Samaritan but remember the bad Samaritan that was a woman at the well and Jesus said yeah you can drink that water I can even help you get it I, I mean I can draw it was interesting. She was looking at the creator of the world, the one who made the water in the well. And she says, how are you going to get water out? You don't have anything to draw with. Well, I'm glad Jesus just skipped all of that. I probably would have gone into it. I would have said, hey, watch this. He skipped all of that. She didn't know who he was. But this is what he told her. Oh, I can get you all that water you want. I'm paraphrasing, Doc. But if you drink that water, you'll thirst again. I, I can get it for you. It's important that you have it. I love providing clean water for people. I think one of the coolest things about living in America is you can go up to a spigot and you can get water and drink it. 
I, I know some of it doesn't taste as good as others. I got all of that. Boy, if I've thought about this before, if my dad came back to life and I had to be the one to break it to him that water costs more than gasoline per gallon, boy, it'd blow his mind. Of course, it's catching up. We have good, clean water. Don't go to India and even wash your toothbrush. If you wash your toothbrush under the spigot, you have to take your brush and clean it, and clean it with bleach, and then you clean it with Lysol, and then you scrub it, and then you leave it in the sun for two days, and then you burn it. Here's no problem. It's great to provide water, but Jesus said, I can give you all that you want. But you'll be back tomorrow for more. What I want to give you, if you drink it, you won't ever thirst again. Well, when God calls, let's take a look at that. Three things. One, it's a courageous proposal. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, what's so crazy and what's so courageous about such a proposal? Well, one, it meant they left their livelihoods. They left their livelihoods. In verse 18, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is where their financial security was. This is where they knew what they were doing. This is where life was predictable. I see churches sometimes that like to advertise things like uh, we're a good, safe place to worship God. I can tell you, worshiping God is not a safe place. Serving God is not a safe place. Sometimes he's liable to call you to go do something that you never dreamed you could do in all your life. Something you never wanted to do with your life. It's one of the most radical things that you could ever do is follow Jesus Christ. Because these guys here follow him and following him and at this point they really have no idea where he is going because remember ultimately Jesus is going to the cross so he is inviting them to come and follow me I am going to the cross to die and later he would break it to them if any of you comes after me let him deny himself and die daily and take up his cross and follow me boy these guys knew fishing. They, they, knew that they, they knew how to get it done. They were experts in it. And, and that's where they were secure financially. They knew they could make a living. As a matter of fact, if Zebedee had other servants in his boat, he probably, scholars tell us, had a pretty big operation going. So they were successful at what they were doing. But then we come to this, what we call the incarnational model of ministry. And that's where God Almighty came to this earth and became flesh and lived among us. And you and I, we have to, when we uh, get involved with the call of God, whatever it is that God has called you to do, it may take you out of the place where you're an expert. God left heaven. Nobody up there jerked him around. Nobody hit him in the face. Nobody pulled his beard. Nobody did any of those things, and I know that all the details of that's convoluted, but I'm just saying to you, in heaven, God says, my will is done so perfectly there. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray that my 
will would be done on earth as it is, as it is done in heaven. Because you guys can't imagine how well they do it in heaven. Nobody argues with me in heaven. Sunday's not special in heaven. Monday's just as special. <laughs> Everything in heaven belongs to me. Everything in heaven glorifies God. Everything in heaven is the way it should be. Pray that my will would be done here as it is there. That's the place God left so he could come and save a sorry sot like me. If he will leave there, I don't think he is too interested in my complaining about, well, I don't know, I just don't feel like I fit in. I bet he just cries all night up there about that. When you die to self daily, you wind up doing some things that might not just bolt right up to you. I think a lot of people in life find something they really enjoy and make a ministry out of it. And if God calls you to do that, that is great. I've been trying to do a deer hunting ministry for years. I just hadn't quite put it together yet. I keep winding up having to come home and study and preach because this is what God called me to do. But man, I know my deer hunting. I know my bass fishing. I can tell you I was taught by one of the best, Dr. Andy Green. He's an ichthyologist. That's what I call him. I, I, I can just tell you, it, it, I'd love to be able to do that. And sometimes it works to some degree. Don't hear me say it doesn't. But if that's what you're waiting on, it, it might not turn out that way. Jesus told these guys to leave the boats and follow me. It says all of this happened after John the Baptist had been taken into custody. Don't let that go by too quickly. He was a disciple of Christ as well, not one of the twelve, but he was one of the first ones to preach the word and to be the forerunner that the Son of God was coming and they took him off to jail and he will later die. He broke one of the rules, by the way, of woke religion. He dared to get involved in politics. He leveled censure at Herod Antipas for taking his brother Philip's wife, not Herod Philip. He had another brother named Philip who was the father of Aristobulus, who was the father of the Agrippa Herods, and that's how all that ties together. But he took Philip's wife, and John the Baptist told him he was wrong for doing it, and it bothered him. But if you read that passage, uh, it says that Herod took care of John and protected John because he was afraid. It even says that he liked to listen to him. But then one day, his new concubine he had acquired had a daughter that danced for him, and he got so overwhelmed with lust that he recklessly promised her anything up to half his kingdom. She went to her mother and said, Mother, what should I ask for? She says, Tell him you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he was afraid, but he sent an executioner down to the cell. He came back with the head. Man, that's what these guys are getting into. 
They gave up their livelihoods. It's a courageous proposal because they had to leave their loved ones as well. Immediately, it says, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. They had to leave, leave him behind. You know, Jesus tells us in Luke 14, that's that passage where we find Jesus talking about we have to hate our father and hate our mother and our wife and our children and our brothers and our sisters and anybody that's not willing to do that is not worthy of following God. I, I, I think we water that down too much sometimes, trying to make sense of it, because now we know Jesus has already told us that we need to love our enemies even. So why would he say love your enemies, but it's okay to hate your family? So we know there's more to it than just meets the eye. And, and I would have to say to you this, one of the cultural uh, uh, idiomatic thinkings that they had, something that was unique to that culture, was they didn't have much on like. It was love or hate. And, and to not love something was to hate it. They didn't have that middle ground of tolerate it. So to love something was to hate something else. Matter of fact, Jesus said there's just some things that you will never be able to do both. You cannot love mammon and serve God. He said that. If you do, it will never, ever work. And so if you have family and you love them more than you love me, you love them to the point that it's going to interfere with your service with me, even your dearest family members. He says, it's not going to work and you cannot be my disciple. He has set the bar for us here, in other words. I think about Luke chapter 9. It says, as they were going along, this is later in his ministry, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is getting it straight right off the bat. I didn't come here to cure homelessness. I come here to cause it sometimes. I don't have a place to lay my head. If you're going to follow me, you need to make sure you know that. He said another said, he said to another, Jesus himself said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first. And you can stop right there. It's not going to matter what else comes out of his mouth. It's not going to matter how patriotic or, or, or how uh, honorable it may sound. Because he's going to say, I need to go and bury my father. In the Old Testament, the only ones that ever got out of burying their father when they died, and it was a, piece of, uh, a place of honor to get to bury your father, to be a part of that ceremony. But if you were a Nazarite, you could get out of it if, if it was because of your vow to not touch a dead person. And if you were the high priest, you could also get out of burying your father. Otherwise, it was seen as a shame and a scandal not to bury your own father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, those that are spiritually dead who have their priorities out of place, there'll be plenty of them to bury your father. He says, I'm telling you, Leave it alone and come and follow me. And another said, I will follow you. And the Lord said, 
but first, or another said, I will follow you, but first, Lord, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. One more passage quickly. In 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier, Paul said, in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Imagine being a recruit at Paris Island in the Marine Corps and tell them, look, I'm going to need Thursday off. I've got important stuff to do. I can hear them now saying, hey, no problem. Glad you let us know plenty of time ahead. And we'll work with you on that. Oh, yeah. You haven't been to Paris Island, have you? I can tell you they don't talk like that. And, and, and notice Jesus says he entangles himself in the affairs. He didn't say that people that get involved in horrible sins. He says it's, it's not that. He said it could be good things. It could just be the affairs of the world. And we all have to deal with them. We all have to, you know, uh, provide for our families, pay the light bill and all of that. We all have to do those kinds of things. But he says there comes a point that you get entangled in it. And it becomes that's what your life is all about. And then church and God and, and, and time in the Word and time before God on our knees becomes something we do when we have time and, and when we can work it into our schedule but our life and our career and our dreams and all of that has taken such a priority that we are now entangled he says don't get entangled in all of that they left their livelihoods they left their loved ones thirdly they left their lives Jesus' call was take up your cross and follow me Oh, it wasn't a grand ceremonial-like thing. He says, no. He says, you have to do this daily. It's a process that we go through daily where we are dying to self. G.K. Chesterton once says that the cross cannot be defeated because it is defeat. A lot of people didn't understand what he meant by it. But if I have died to self, good luck insulting me. If I've died to self, you'll have a hard time discouraging me. You can tell me about all the things you have that I don't have. won't bother me. I've, I'm already, I've already defeated. <laughs> I've, I've died to me. It's not going to matter. You're going to call me names? Really? You're going to bring up some sin in my life that you know about that you want to advertise? Let me give you some more that you could advertise in case you get bored with that one. Because, see, when you die to self, man, you can't beat a person that's dead. They don't feel anything. They're dead. They've died to self. That is our problem. That's why we're so touchy. That's why we're so quick to, to get defensive about ourselves. We haven't died to self. It is defeat. Samuel Rutherford, I love reading these old guys, says Christ's cross is a burden to bear, 
But he says it is a burden like sails are to a ship or wings are to a bird. They have to carry those wings, but those wings carry them. Dying to self. If you're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to put that off a little bit because I want to have a life. Don't make me keep quoting Jesus. Jesus says, if you want a life, be willing to give yours away. And you can have life. He who keeps his life will lose his life. The sooner you die to you, the sooner you'll know about life. A.W. Tozer, one more quote. The old cross, he said, the way we used to understand the cross, it slew men. He says the new cross entertains them. He said the old cross condemned, but the new cross amuses. He said the old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh, but the new cross seems to encourage it. I've don't want to judge another for what he preaches. If he's preaching the Word of God, that's what he should do. And he should say what God tells him, not what I tell him. But today there's so much preaching about how cool you are and how you ought to love yourself. I didn't say you've got to just be self-deprecating all the time, but... How you just, oh man, you just don't know how cool you are. There are preachers out there that are saying that you, you, need, a, you need a Cadillac. Now, I'm, see, I'm telling you now how old I am because Cadillacs are not all that big a deal anymore. I guess, what is it now, BMW, Subaru? Uh, but I'm saying to you, a lot of preaching nowadays is very popular because what you ought to, and you ought to wrap that Cadillac. I remember, uh, uh, I can't even think of his name now, but uh, uh, he was, uh, oh, anyway, he was talking about God wants to give you a new car and he wants to give you a brand new house with a carport to wrap around that new car. And he made people believe that. And then he passed the plate. And they went home and made payments on a Volkswagen, and he bought an airplane. Kenneth Copeland. Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This, oh, it's it, that, that old gospel of hating yourself and putting yourself down and all of that. I'm not saying hate yourself, but humbling yourself before God and realizing what a wretch you are. Remember, two men went up to pray, and one was, boy, he'd been listening to some of this. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like a lot of these people out here. They're so defeated and, and wrong and all of that. And it says the other one was a tax collector, and all he could muster up was he smote himself in the chest and said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Two men went up to pray. One prayed. The other one blathered on to himself. Courageous proposal. Quickly, two other things. A crucial promise. He says, I will make you. If you follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. I'm not calling you for what you can do now. I will make you become fishers of men. 
Ganeste or genomai is the verb form, but he, it is a process. It's a growing, like the word generation. You grow into it, and God says, I will make it happen. I will make you become fishers of men. I am not looking for talent. I am not looking for ability. I'm looking for availability. Just surrender yourself to me, and I can make you into whatever I want you to be. God has to make us that. We can't do it on our own. And God's not a talent scout. He's not looking for stuff like we often look for. I, I, I know sometimes I'll hear people say, I wish so-and-so would get saved. Oh, my goodness. Have you heard him sing, preacher? Really? I bet if God ever hears him, God will save him because he needs him in church on the praise team. Oh, I wish, uh, I wish we could get that family in here. They're such good people. And you know, they're really well off. God's about broke. He might save them. How ridiculous is that? He's not in a talent search. God says, I'm not looking for talent. He says, you bring me all five loaves and both fish, and I'll feed the multitude of them. And you'll carry home more than you brought. He says, I can do it with whatever you bring me, but bring it all to me. I can just see the disciples telling Jesus, we looked around the crowd for food. We didn't find any. Well, we did find, there's a kid over there, got a sack lunch. His mama put him some sardines in there with some biscuits this morning. Ah, he's, you know, kids, he thinks he can feed the whole place with it. Jesus said, bring me his lunch I'll show you what I can do with it bring him you that's what he wants and then last of all a clear purpose I will make you fishers of men I'm not opening up a new soup kitchen in town I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that Jesus says, no, I'm going to teach you to fish for men. Fishing for fish usually ends in their demise. But he says, the men you catch will result in them having eternal life. It's different. It's different. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't invent that term, by the way. Philosophers had used that before when they would try to persuade people to a certain position. They weren't weren't Christian, but when they were trying to persuade somebody to think a certain way, they would put bait on the hook, they called it. They didn't use a lot of hooks in that day. They did, but a lot of these fishermen used nets. But they still understood the hook deal, and they still understood the bait deal. And if you put the right bait on there, the, these philosophers were saying, if you're going to really win somebody over to your way of thinking, you've got to know how to bait the hook. You guys know that. When it comes to something maybe you want to purchase, you start baiting the hook with your wife. You know, honey, it'd be really good. If we had one of those lawnmowers that, you know, has that 200-horsepower engine, runs 35 miles an hour in eight foot of grass, if you mow the lawn a lot faster, we'd have more time to be together. 
She just starts dragging out the checkbook and credit cards, doesn't she? You might be pulling the lure a little fast for her, okay? Bait the hook. Just Jesus says, I can make you fishers of men. It's never been more important in our world that we preach the gospel people. I I saw and I, I, I judge no one here, but I saw a post on Facebook that said Betty White celebrated her 100th, 100th birthday in heaven. I couldn't help but think, really? And maybe she did. Don't look at me and say, you're not supposed to judge. You did. If you posted that, you judged her. Do you know that? You claim you know what's in her heart. I didn't. I said, I don't know. Yeah, but it was something good. I don't care. It's still judging. When you look at people and go, well, he might not know the Lord, but he's got a good heart and all of that. You're passing judgment. I don't care how good it sounds to you. You don't know what's in a person's heart. And I can tell you, I hope and pray that Betty White did have her 100th birthday in heaven. That would be great. I never saw anything in her life that would suggest that. But remember, in our world, everybody goes to heaven. Oh, she's up there with Don Rickles. I don't even know if he's dead, but. Dean Martin, he's over there. Guarantee if they got alcohol in heaven, he's got a glass of it. Him and Foster Brooks. Everybody goes to heaven in our world. That's not true, is it? not what Jesus said. Jesus says most won't. Most won't. He said wide is that way that leads to destruction. And many there be that find it. They had to widen the road. They had to have them a two trillion dollar renovation project to get that thing spread out. A lot of people travel that road. He said, but narrow is the way that leads to life. And I didn't say it. Jesus said, few. Very few find it. Man, that's got to... I think what's killed us in evangelism, I think one of the reasons that people feel almost no urgency to win souls is we have soothed our own selfish conscience with some kind of crazy thinking that somehow or another, in the end, we're all going to be home in glory. Man. Jesus is calling us today. I know it'll take us a few weeks to get, and it might might be months, I, I, I don't know. This latest COVID thing, 
I hope you will do whatever you need to do. Take care of yourself. But I'm just saying to you, it'll, it'll take us some time to get back in here, to get back together. I hope that this John project that we're about to tackle won't suffer because of it. Because it's so important. We have rarely ever had an opportunity. It, it may be even more direct than Lottie Moon. Our Lottie Moon offering, you know, goes directly to missionaries on the field. It puts them there directly. But this is a way that you can take a particular verse in John. Or maybe you would pray about it and say, hey, Gonna be expensive, but we're gonna take we're gonna take chapter four. We're gonna we're gonna get some money out of savings, maybe. Or we're gonna sell that car we never drive, or or whatever it is. Maybe that lawnmower that runs eighty miles an hour and eight foot of grass. I don't know. We're gonna do whatever it takes. Here is an opportunity for you to put the Word of God in the language of somebody in this world that has never seen it. How cool is that? Church, we got work to do. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this great reminder this morning of our calling in our life. I pray now, God, that you would just help us, Lord, as we put together all the bits and pieces and details. Help us not to get too carried away with that. Help us to know, Lord, that with whatever it is that you lead us to do, however much we give or however involved we are, Lord, that you're going to bless it and you're going to use it. And unless you do, then it's all worthless. We pray, God, that you will help us. Help us to realize and know that this church has some serious business ahead of it. God, we're thankful it's not dependent on us. But just help us to surrender our lives to you. To stop demanding that cornerstone deal with this twisted piece of lumber. And if they can't, you'll find a church that will. Help us, Lord, to get past that. Help us, God, to allow you to bend and twist and cut and fabricate, Lord, and build your kingdom the way you want to. Just help us to surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.